Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the ways you've made all of us, each of us, special and unique in our own ways. And we pray that we would fit that calling, that we would go for it, that we would be whoever you've called us to be in the circumstances you've placed us in for your glory, for your good, and for the advancement of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. In 17th century England, a young preacher in Bedford cut the ire of the official church. They jailed him in order to silence him, yet refusing to be silent, he began to preach in the jail in the courtyard. Well, soon thereafter, he attracted a large following of prisoners, but not only prisoners, hundreds of local citizens of the surrounding area would come to the prison daily to stand outside and hear him expound the scripture. Of course, this wasn't favorable to his captors, and as a result, they placed him in solitary confinement in a deep jail and forbid him to preach or speak at all. Yet, in that silence, he spoke more loudly than he could ever have imagined. It was during that time that John Bunyan wrote The Pilgrim's Progress. For several centuries afterwards, it was the most widely read and translated book in the entire world after the Bible. Tens of millions of people found it edifying or found their way to Christ through it. Bunyan's opponents were able to stop his preaching for a few years, but they were not able to stop the advancement of the gospel. Instead, by putting him in solitary confinement, they in fact provided the very opportunity to extend his message and ministry from the small town of Bedford to the ends of the earth. This is the way God works, not only in Bunyan's life, but in the Apostle Paul's life and in yours and mine. If you were here with us last week, you saw how we started the sermon series talking about Paul and his circumstances and where he was located at. And what you quickly realized is that this is not necessarily what any young aspiring preacher would be going after. They would be going after a first Baptist of so-and-so or first such-and-such of wherever and trying to climb the ministry ladder. But instead, the Apostle Paul, after a missionary trip, two or three, actually ends up being shipwrecked on the island of Malta and then under house arrest in Rome in this place right here. So Paul is there, he's under arrest, and he is chained either to the wall or if he's to move about to a prison guard. So the attempt there is to stop him, to confine him. Well, that's the external opposition he's facing. But as you know, when you are in pursuit of the mission, the advancement of the gospel, the glory of God and the good of Jesus Christ, there's not only external opposition, but there is often internal opposition opposition as well. You somewhat expect the external and you think, yeah, of course, they're not Christian. They would naturally be opposed to this. But what can be the most harmful and hurtful and devastating is the internal. Well, the Apostle Paul is not immune to that either. Instead, in this circumstance, even in jail, he realizes that there are others outside who would now take advantage of his incarceration. And so while he's in jail, these people who are sort of like the cat, the mouse is away, the cats will play. No, that's not right. 
other way around. When the cat's away, the mice will play. This apostle is in prison, and all of a sudden, these other young aspiring preachers are now, I follow Paul, I follow Paulus, I want to be the next, you know, great so-and-so, are preaching, but not necessarily out of good intent, but instead just to advance their own careers. He realizes this is going on, and he sees all of this, and for most of us, this would be pretty discouraging. I mean, we'd be in prison, there's people bad-mouthing us outside of prison, there's nothing we can do about it. And yet you read it, and what do you find? The exact opposite. People are passing notes about me in class, and I can't stop it. And they're saying things that aren't true. And all of a sudden, I'm happy? Yeah, that's what happened to the Apostle Paul. Why? Well, if you remember the first chapter, we talked specifically about where he locates himself. Even though he is located in prison in Rome, he recognizes that his spiritual location ultimately trumps his physical location, that who he is in Christ trumps anything that anyone else could try to set as his identity. And he says, no, I will throw off those shackles. I will throw off that chain. That is not who I am. I am an apostle. I am in Christ and it's okay. And so not jockeying for position, not worried about circumstance. Here's a slide just to refresh your memory. The apostle is fully focused on who he is in Christ and not on who he might be, but instead in who Christ, who he is in him. And therefore, when he is in prison and when people are making fun of him and when people are trying to pull the rug out from him, his goal is not to say, no, 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 please stop. Don't, that hurts me. But instead, he says, oh, cool. How can I use this to advance the mission of Christ? Here's an opportunity. And so what I want to encourage you today, it's kind of counterintuitive, but it's the upside-down, amazing, backwards nature of the gospel where the first are last and the last are first. I want you to leverage your circumstances, even if they are negative, for the advancement of the gospel. Leverage your circumstances. Use it to advance the gospel. Now, when I say the gospel, I want to define that real quick because I don't know where you're at in the spiritual life spectrum. You may have walked in the door for the first time today. Hallelujah. Praise God. You're supposed to be here. Welcome. You may never, or you may have been here for a long time, and wherever you're at, you probably have some inkling of what this means. For some, you may think gospel means right-wing, fundamental, evangelical, conservative, you know, whatevers. For another, gospel might mean Billy Graham crusade or evangelistic thing where it's this high pump, sales pitch, get them down front, make them cry, and send them home. But really, the way I think the Bible defines the gospel is essentially this word eungelion means good news. Well, that still doesn't tell me a whole lot. What's the good news? Well, initially, the easiest way to see it is we can locate the good news in Jesus. That Jesus, the only begotten Son of the living God, who, beca- who was and is and is to come, became a human being, lived a perfect life, died on the cross. God the Father raised him from the grave. He ascended into heaven, now sits at the Father's right hand from which he rules and reigns and will return to rule and reign forevermore. That's the simple version. But even beyond that, more extended than that, most of, most of the time that's where we stop and we say, oh, cool. 
Yes, Jesus wins. That's great. Jesus died to forgive sins. What's even better, though, is I still experience sin right now. I still experience its effects. Although I'm forgiven, I'm not fully delivered. And I can't ever come to the point where I am completely free from sin, yet that's where I want to be. Well, the good news, the gospel, is that Jesus gets you there. Now, for us, it may be when we die and go to heaven, but hopefully not. Hopefully it's when... He comes back before our deaths. And even if we die and go to heaven, he promises that he will come back. And when he does, he makes the new heaven or remakes the earth. And as a result, all sin, all sickness, and everything is done away with forevermore. That's good news. Then we never have to suffer. And then we don't have the effects of sin. And then all our relationships are good. Then we worship him forever. And that feeling that you want of being at home forever and ever and never having any trouble again is finally there. It's realized for real. That's good news. I'm fixed. He's the fix. I'm broken. I need him. Here he comes. That's good. (laughs) Right? Is that good news? I think that's good news. So what I'm saying to you is this, is that we need to communicate that good news, and the Apostle Paul is going to do so as well. It's not just that Jesus died for your sins, which he did, but Jesus died and raised and is coming back again. And when he does, bam, it's all done. We're good. We need that. Can't live without it. That's the hope of the world. So here's the gospel. We have this treasure in earthen vessels and jars of clay in our bodies, and we need to share it with others. So, you, church, are in a unique position that I am not. Each and every one of you leaves this week and you leave the church. I stay here, but you go out and you are among people who don't have this good news. Share it with them. I can't, I'm not there. The only thing you can do for me to share it with them is bring them here, which is a good first step. But even better is you there share, leverage the gospel. You're in a million places I can't be. Leverage it. Use your circumstances to advance the gospel. This is the mission of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 and following. With that context, with that setting, you'll hear how the Apostle Paul applies this to his life. And then you can use him as a model or a paradigm for yours. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. This is up on the screen. If you have a Bible, please feel free to follow along. Paul says this, From his prison cell, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really actually served to advance the gospel. They meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. But the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. They want to kick me when I'm down. What then? Should I be discouraged? By no means. Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, in Christ, in his proclamation... 
I rejoice. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, as I introduced the book to you last week, there are several important things I left out because you can't do it all in one day. And one of them is this, is the book of Philippi is set in a military context. Um, Here's a picture of that area. This is the geography of Greece, the peninsula and the Mediterranean Sea. See there, we have something in common. We live on a peninsula, they live on a peninsula. Uh, To their west is the boot heel of Italy, and to their east is Asia. And that little red dot at the top of the Aegean Sea is the city of Philippi. Now, in that context, you can kind of see some of the topography in that slide, but here's a better picture of what it looked like. There is a, a valley, and there's sort of mountains, not maybe mountains like Colorado, but huge hills that we here in Michigan would consider mountains. And originally, that area belonged to the Greeks, and this place was named Philippi after Philip, that is the father of Alexander the Great. So when the Greeks own a city, they make an Acropolis, they put it at the top of the highest hill, that's the sanctuary to their pagan deities. This is the very spot where you can go and visit the Philippian Acropolis today. Now, if a warring army is going to invade, what's going to happen is what you see in this next slide. One army is going to gather on one side of the valley up in the hills, and the other army is going to gather on the other side, and they'll meet down in the valley. After they've mustered their forces and figured out their plan, they go down into the valley to fight, like you hear with David and the Philistines. Although in a different area, same, same thing. So, eventually, Philippi is captured by the Romans after the Greek Empire falls. The Roman Republic has ascended. But then, uh, you know, Rome didn't fall in a day. Instead, it was from within. And at one point, there is a uh, differing view of how to run an empire. And it comes up like this, where, here's a slide of that. The Forces of Brutus and Cassius, who were on the side of the Republic, got in a big fight with the forces of Mark Anthony and Octavian, who were on the side of the Empire. Brutus and Cassius were for the Republic. Mark Anthony and Octavian were um, following the principles and practices of Julius Caesar. And this was the day when... The empire struck back. Exactly right. You got it. The empire won and the republic was soundly defeated. And from then on, it was basically a total monarchy of the Roman Empire. So why did I tell you all that? Because you need a really cool history lesson? No, because this is essential, believe it or not, to your understanding of the background and the significance and the weight and the context of the book of Philippians. What happens here is that after that battle takes place, the rulers are going to, you know, this is kind of a disputed territory, so they're going to want to send loyalists over there and get people who are on their team to inhabit that area so everything stays calm when it's 800 miles away from Rome. 
So first thing they want to do is send a bunch of soldiers over there, retired soldiers who have their stipend, who don't serve active duty anymore, but are there in case we need them, we can kind of call them up again. So let's send the reserves or the pseudo-retired soldiers out to live in Philippi. Not only that, but in 27 BC, Octavius um, issued the Italic Rite, which meant anyone who goes and lives in this city and is loyal to Rome gets free citizenship exempt from taxes. Whoa, there's a deal, right? I think we might just move. Let's go. This is worth a lot of money. You get major privileges, and along with those privileges comes a huge financial benefit. So the people who are living there are, first of all, soldiers, and secondly, citizens. Well, guess how the Apostle Paul is going to address the people in Philippi? You're soldiers of Jesus Christ. You're citizens of heaven. So live like it. How do soldiers and how do citizens live? Especially ones who are loyal to the empire. Now, you're not citizens of the Roman Empire. You're citizens of the kingdom of God. So then, how should you live? Well, live or die, come what may. I serve the king. Citizen. Soldier. Philippians Chapter 1, verse 16, it says this. Here's what's crazy. I want to pull this out for you because you won't see this in your translation. Apostle Paul is talking about his circumstances. He's in prison. He is being contained. He is being assaulted. So should he be discouraged? Should he be depressed? Should he be down? None of his friends like him anymore. They said they're in his friends. They sent him on his way. And now, whoo, what's happening? Paul says this. Verse 16b. Knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Even here, right now, in these very circumstances in my life, I have been put here. I didn't come to it on my own. I didn't accidentally wander in this direction. It's not random by chance. It just so happens, actually, God put me here. He picked me up and placed me here. He took me from where I was and dropped me here. There's a good chance that that's a lot of you this morning as well. I don't know how many people here are native to Midland and how many are transplants. Regardless, wherever you're at in life, God put you there. God put you there. This term specifically, when you look it up, it's interesting. It's, it's used even of Jesus in Luke chapter 2, who is the appointed Messiah. It conveys the idea of destiny. It comes with the idea of a strategic assignment or a special mission that a soldier would see right away and say, whoa, this is a special operation. This is intentional. This is not some random Calvary thing where we're distributed throughout the area and just given some unknown mission. I am on a specific assignment for a specific amount of time for a specific reason. I am put here for the advancement of the gospel. Christian, do you see that? This is not random. This is not accidental. You are put here on purpose. God has you here for a reason. <laughs> and it is to advance the gospel. 
Therefore, soldier, you are duty-bound if by your life or by your death. Apostle Paul says it like this. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. As a soldier, what would I have? Well, either or, on the field of battle, I get glory and immortality. If I stick around, I get to serve a little bit longer. Either way, it works. The mission is to advance the gospel. I played a little bit of basketball in high school. I wasn't any good at it at all. But I respected athletes and learned how talented they were. And then in college, I was in the weight room a little bit, and uh, I saw the college basketball coach there, and I got to know him. He's one of these guys that's, you know, super tall and lean and just looks like he's mean as can be. As it turns out, he happens to be a Christian. And, and once I caught him in a bookstore and said, oh, here's my opportunity. I'll sit down and say, how you doing? And I did. It's like, coach, how's it going? You know, young college student, hey, coach, <laughs> how's it going? He's like... Any day is a good day that you're breathing and not in a lot of pain. <laughs> <I'm> like, okay. <laughs> We're not in excruciating pain. It's a good day. <laughs> and that was his sort of motto. He was tough. He was hard as nails. Why? Because that was the way he lived. He's not in excruciating pain. Okay, it's a good day. Keep going. But all of us probably have some sort of saying like that. It may not be any day is a good day that you're not in excruciating pain. But it may be if you're a mom, any day is a good day that the house is still standing. The kids got fed and went to bed. <laughs> That's a good day. <laughs> any day is a good day that I came home and got paid again. Any day is a good day that my car started. Any day is a good day that my back didn't hurt. Any day is a good day that so-and-so and I didn't get in a fight. Any day is a good day that blah, fill in the blank. You probably have one of those. And if you live by that, inevitably you're going to have a bad day. Because <laughs> things don't always go right and those things don't always work. And that's going to fall through and you're going to be discouraged. But the thing about it is, if you live by the creed of the Apostle Paul, then what he's saying is, any day is a good day that the gospel advances. And it's a good day. Well, it may mean I'm thrown in prison. <laughs> May mean I get burned at the stake. May mean I'm shipwrecked, beaten, hungry, cold, tired. It's a good day. <laughs> you know? It's totally different. And I know I'm not there yet, and probably most of us aren't, but if we can take a step or even an inch or two in that direction, it'll radically transform your perspective on life. You'll be able to detach from the things in this world that hold you down and pull you apart. I've got to provide for them. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I'm just torn. I can never hold all these things together. But eventually you say, poom, poom, I'm free because I'm living for Christ. And I'm not tied down. Whatever happens, come what may, if the gospel advances, we're good. And that's good news. Because what did Jesus say? The gospel is going to advance even if the gates of hell... Try to stop it. So that means every day is a good day. Because <laughs> the gospel is still advancing. Even when I'm not. I might be going backwards. The gospel is still going forward. I don't mean to go backwards. I don't want to go backwards. But I can take confidence in Christ because he's still going forward. So my identity then is not in my performance or in my credentials or in my circumstances, but in Christ. And if it's in Christ, then we're doing well. Because he ain't beat. He's ascended to the right hand of the God, the Father, reigning and ruling in heaven and coming back soon. We win. Gospel advances. Any day is a good day that fill in the blank.
if you have it something other than the gospel advances, you lose. But if you have the gospel advances, you win. When you look at the Apostle Paul then, what you see in his life, I have to use him as an example because, like I said, it's hard to get there. Is that persecution, you ready? Persecution becomes a platform. And the roadblocks that are set there to prevent his progress become the stepping stones that propel him forward. Roman imprisonment means a free one-way ticket to talk to the king. A guard shackled to him in prison, you know what that is? A captive audience. (laughs) This guy can't get away. He gets to hear the gospel all day long. I'm going to sing and pray and share the good news and man, he's going to hear it. And what happens? Well, if you go back to Acts 16, you know what happened to the prison guard there. He and all his household got saved. (laughs) And guess what? That was where the Philippi church started. I wonder if this is like deja vu for Paul. It's like, hey, this is where the Roman church is going to start. I don't know. Wonder when the chains are going to fall off. I don't know. But I know I'm going to be delivered. Even if the chains don't come off, even if I'm chained to a pole and burned, I'm still going to be delivered. Why? For me to live as Christ and die as gain. Either way, I'm good. As long as the gospel advances. So listen to this very carefully, church. Because this is what's going to encourage and save you in your life. Resistance is inherent to progress. Resistance is inherent to progress. If you don't feel some wind in your face, what are you doing? (laughs) Probably nothing. Resistance is inherent to progress. Therefore, opposition is not a sign of your defeat, but a sign of your success. That means you're moving in the right direction because someone opposes you. If they're not, you better ask, am I even moving? What am I doing? The roadblocks that are in your life should become the stepping stones or springboards for your success. Negative circumstances, of course, they're meant for evil. They're meant to harm you. Do I agree that they are good? No, I agree that they're evil. But those evil and bad things that Satan throws your way, like imprisonment, like shipwreck, like beating, like divorce, like job loss, like relational difficulty, those things can actually become the things that move the gospel forward. No way, Jeremy, come on. (laughs) Yeah, actually, I have a pretty good example or two. You can probably think of examples in your life where you think, yeah, this was evil, but God used it for good. After the first service this morning, I had several people come down and share, hey, this is what happened when... And I thought it was going to be my worst time ever, but it turned out to be this. I personally like to watch SportsCenter's featured stories sometimes. And I got to thinking about it the other day. You know what's almost common to all of these is some great difficulty at the start, you know? It's always that great difficulty that propels this person, their unusual childhood, their difficult circumstance, their whatever, that gives them that internal fire that keeps them going way beyond anyone else. I think the Bible plays that out as well. 
history of salvation is littered with stories of evil and injustice that lead to God's glory. Think about the story for Joseph, for example. If you're following along in your Bibles right now on the reading plan, you're probably somewhere in Genesis and encountering the reality that Joseph's brothers hated him. (laughs) They wanted to kill him. They didn't intend to do him anything good. It was pure jealousy and animosity. And it's either we're going to kill him or we're going to sell him or get rid of him somehow because we don't care. And they sell him into slavery. And what happens? God, through those difficult circumstances, not overnight, read those chapters. Two years pass by. Two years pass by. Over and over again. This time, he's just languishing. You think God has forgotten him. Yet through this period, God is at work, even though Joseph doesn't know it. And all of a sudden, he's at the top of the chain. And then his brothers are bowing down. They come to ask him forgiveness. And this is what happens in Genesis chapter 50. It says his brothers came and fell down before him. But Joseph said to them, what? (laughs) You think I'm in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. That's truly what you tried to do. This was bad. But God meant it for good. There's a story of salvation history right there. What Satan tried to use to destroy us, God used for good. Like the cross. What Satan used to attempt to kill God's only begotten son, God used to save the entire world. (laughs) Now that's what I call ironic. If you want to look at irony, there it is. I think some people complain sometimes because they say things like, why do bad things happen to good people? They never do. They only did once. And that was on a cross. And the reason was for God's glory and to save the world. You meant it for evil, but God used it for good. If he can do that with Joseph, with genocide, with a naked, bleeding son of a carpenter, don't you think he can do that with you? I want you to know, brothers... And sisters, I want you to know that what happens to you, Midland Free, Philippi, serves to advance the gospel. You are put here. It's not an accident. You can be confident that no matter what, you will be delivered, either by your life or by your death. (laughs) It may kill you. But it's all good. Because Jesus has overcome the world. Therefore, you can say with the Apostle Paul, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed. We won't. We will be vindicated. Even if we lose now, it'll still be a win. With full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in our bodies, whether by life or by death. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die... We're the Lord's. And when you get to that point, now you're at the place where you really don't care. 
That's actually a really good place to be. When you've cut off detachment from all the things in this world that you used to care about and you're only pursuing the mission of God, it's all good. Because that mission will win and never fail. And you become aphobos, fearless. Not phobic, but aphobic, completely without fear. As long as the gospel advances, we're happy. And the gospel will always advance because the gates of hell will not prevail against her. By his death and resurrection, Jesus Christ conquered sin and death, defeated Satan, ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will return to reign and rule forevermore. Therefore, leverage your circumstances. Live for the empire, for the kingdom of God. And I can assure you that it will turn out okay. I'm sure of this. I'm 100% sure that he who began this good work in you will be faithful to complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. So whatever happens, advance the gospel. After several years of intensifying conflict, the Gestapo labeled his preaching of biblical truth psychologically deviant and recommended that this man belongs in the concentration camps. Prisoner number 2491, Pastor Paul Schneider, spent two years in Buchenwald concentration camp, 18 months of which were in solitary confinement. He confided to the orderly that there is no spot on me that has not been beaten black and blue. They sick dogs on him. They beat him with bullwhips. They fed him a regular diet of the cardiac depressant, strophanthin. This eventually, in a huge dose, claimed his life. And his wife, Margaret, was brought to collect the body. They nailed it shut in the coffin so she could not see what had actually happened to him. The day that he died, Diedrich Bonhoeffer was in London. He heard of it and told his gathered nieces and nephews, children... You must never forget the name of Paul Schneider. He is our first martyr. Every morning from his cell in solitary confinement, his voice was heard ringing out loudly and clearly across the whole square where tens of thousands of prisoners had lined up. Our Lord Jesus came into the world to save us from our sins. If we have faith in him, we are put right with God. We need not fear what man may do, because through Christ we belong to the kingdom of God. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, has promised that we by faith in him may participate in the resurrection of the dead. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me will never die. Accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and God will receive you as his child. Did they become afraid? I think not. Schneider's funeral, despite heavy observance by the Nazi officials, attracted hundreds of confessing church pastors and became a rallying point 
for their boldness and proclamation. Fearless because of who they were in Christ. Whatever the circumstance, whatever God has called you to, he has put you here for the advancement of the gospel. Use it. Leverage it to accomplish the mission. Father, we thank you for your perfect work. I admit that I don't see the good in that which is not good. And those things that are difficult, Lord, it's hard to see. Help us to trust, to believe by grace through faith in Jesus who died for us. That the gospel and mission of Christ is advancing no matter what. And please help us to be willing to surrender to the call and give our all for him. In whose name we pray. Amen.